Well, today, we're going to be coming to the conclusion of our latest series. Don't look so sad, guys. Come on. Don't look so sad. It's not that bad. We, we got a good one coming up. Uh, but today, we're going to be concluding our latest series. We've been talking about uh, on, on the topic of the rest of your life. And what we've been uh, seeing in this study is God's invitation to us. It's a promise that we can live life in a state of rest. The truth is that life doesn't have to be as stressful as we make it. I just want you to chew on that for a moment, right? So over the last couple of weeks, we've learned that life does not have to be a rat race. That it does not have to be defined by the constant drive to survive today in hopes of reaching tomorrow at the expense, listen, of your present well-being. We learn that it does not have to be experienced in continual worry and fear or anxiousness. We learn that we can live life in a continual state of rest. But to take hold of this rest, we must allow the inner work that God has done in us to impact the external life that we so commonly have come to rely upon. I want you to think about this. Life is supposed to be lived from the inside out, not from the outside in. I want you to consider that because too many of us have grown accustomed to responding to life instead of living it. Responding to circumstances, being moved by situations or, and feelings. And the reality is that we crumble because of the pressure that's outside pressing in. But don't you know that the scripture says that greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. And that's why you overcome because the pressure on the outside cannot be greater than the one within you which is Christ Jesus who is alive and well and inviting you and I to step out. Man, I feel like preaching this morning. I feel like preaching this morning. But I'm just going to teach. Listen, I want us to look to the Word of God. We've been looking at two foundational scriptures in relation to this series that I want us to go back to. And yes, we've been looking at it line upon line, precept upon precept. We've been repeating these scriptures and digging into them because that's how we learn. That's how the Word of God begins to have entrance. So anybody ready? Yes. All right, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 1. We're looking at the Passion Translation. It says, now the promise of entering into God's rest is still for us today. Go ahead and tell somebody it's for you. You're online. Go ahead and type it's for you. Tell somebody it's for me. I pray you understand this. He says, so we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. For we have heard the good news of, of deliverance just as they did. This is referring to the people of Israel, people of promise who did not take hold of it. But why? They forsook this rest, the scripture tells us, because they didn't join their faith with the word, with what God had promised to them. Instead, when they heard, or what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. What a sad and tragic result. This is for those of us who believe Faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest. 
So what we see here, according to God's word, is, is that rest is still available to us today. If you're stressed, stop and consider that God says you still have a rest available to you that you have not partaken of. It's still available. It's present. You're not without resources. But this rest is contingent upon our response. It's the reason why the scripture tells us that it's still available and that we must be careful to embrace it, to not let go of it. And so the words of Jesus stress this same point to us in Matthew 11, starting at verse 28. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, I want you to consider that because we seek rest in external places, through external circumstances, through external factors, through people, through things. And Jesus says, no, rest doesn't happen there. It doesn't, it's not derived from there. It's derived within your soul, but it's derived as you join yourself to me. And so he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, what I give you, it's easy, my burden, it's light. And so everyone is in search of something. Everyone is in search of rest. We seek it through various portals in life. We seek it through money. Come on now. Don't, don't, don't shout me down. Right? I want you to think about it. For some of us, we think if we just have more money, we'll be happier. How's that working for you? Right? We, we, we do it through the pursuits that we endeavor upon. We, we seek it in people. We seek it in possessions. I mean, we seek it in places. It goes on and on. But none of those things prove to lead us into rest. I'll tell you why. Because they exhaust us as we pursue them. They exhaust us. They wear us out. So the words of Jesus in these verses indicate that rest can only be derived through our union to him and the impact that that is supposed to effectually work within us. Right? And so what we see here is that Jesus says something to us about this rest, how we attain it, how this impact starts within us. And how we're to avail ourselves of it. And so here's what he says. He says, come to me. He says, in essence, commit to me. He says, learn from me. And I want you to consider the verbiage that Jesus is using and what it actually tells us. He's saying, you have to do something in order to truly partake of this rest. Today, I want to talk to you on the topic of the discipline in the soul. Discipline in the soul. I want you to consider that we're going to have a personal conversation, an in-depth conversation with God as he connects with us and reveals to us truths from his word. And I think it's high time that we take seriously what God is saying. 
because some of us were striving to live while dying daily. We're wearing ourselves out. And I want you to just consider what Jesus says. That's not his yoke. That's not where he's taking you. That is not God's will for your life. It is not. What you're gaining is actually loss. And so Jesus was not referring to the simple act of coming to him with our burdens and following him while we're carrying them. For some of us, I've been there. I do it still sometimes. i got to discipline myself. I come to Jesus, but I'm carrying all this weight, and then I'm dragging it along while trying to follow him. No wonder relationship with Christ feels heavy. You see, Jesus was inviting us, is inviting us into a deeper work within our souls. And so I want you to just do something with me. I promise you, nobody's going to dig in your pocket. All right, security's here. You're going to be all right. All right, if you're online, I want you to do this with us too. I want you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes. I know this is so hard. Close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to envision life without stress. I want you to think about what possibility exists just walking with Jesus and being at rest. I want you to consider that he's present. He always has been. He always will be. He still is. I want you to envision your life without the anxieties, without the fears, without the worries. I want you to envision rest. Now, wake up. <laughs> now, get this. When we start talking about discipline of the soul, it's about beginning to see a new reality. It's what Christ has done in you. And when we start talking about the soul and change, for some of us, we believe that it's so difficult, it's so hard, that you actually just took a moment to detach and see what is possible just based on the words of Christ. The problem is we don't do this. I'm not talking about meditation, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about changing the picture in light of the truth that the Word of God gives us. I'm talking about you taking steps towards something greater. And so based on the words of Jesus in just the last 20 seconds we took, we took I submit to you that your internal response and what you continually do in your soul plays a huge part, a paramount part, in you experiencing and you walking in this rest that God promises. See, the scriptures reveal that God has done his part. If you are waiting for God to enter his rest, you will wait in frustration. I'm going to tell you why. Because God has done everything that he was going to do in Christ. He says in his word that you are a new creation. You know what the Greek actually says there? It says that you are an entirely new and unique species of being. Some of you are doing this. I can't wait till the new me comes, shows up. As if you're going to see it here. 
You can experience it here, but you must first discover the great work that God has done in Christ in you. And so you are a new creation. The scripture says the old is gone, the new has come. The scriptures declare that he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have the the very heaven. His kingdom has come within you. The scriptures declare that he he has given you everything that pertains to your life and to all matters pertaining to godliness, relationship with him. And so the change doesn't have to happen there. God doesn't have to change his ways. He doesn't have to change anything. If anything, what has to change is how we experience life in the soul. How we respond to life on a daily basis. The picture that we see. My friend, if you are looking back 20 years and still living with the trauma of where you've been and what you've done, let me tell you something. You have marred vision and the only reason why you see wrong is because you're looking in the wrong direction to begin with. So it's for this reason The Proverbs 4.23 says to us, above all else. You want to reprioritize your life? Start with this one. Above all else. He says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. What are you doing in your soul? How is that impacting your heart and your belief? See, that's where your life is flowing from. And the very place where you feel stuck is the very place where you have the power to be free. Because it starts with the choice that you and I make on a daily basis. Thus, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about discipline of the soul. See, the discipline you exercise in your soul determines the power you employ in life. I'm going to say that again. The discipline that you exercise in your soul, how you navigate life, how you respond, your internal self-talk, the way you perceive things. If you are the person that somebody comes to you and says, man, it's a sunny day. And you go, yeah, but it's going to rain. It's a soul issue. If you hear about the blessings of God, but you go, yeah, but that's not for me. There's a soul issue. There's, there's, there, you, you, you're playing with distorted mirrors. You're in a fun house and it's no fun at all. God's saying, get the right picture. See what I'm showing you in my word. See, the discipline you maintain in your soul, what you allow to happen there, and how you work that out from within will determine your daily life experience. The scriptures record the life-changing moment of a woman who had been plagued for years by a constant flow of blood from her body. For over 12 years, actually. And the scriptures record that she had turned to doctors and to anything and to anyone who could offer her the slightest hope for a solution. And as a result, she spent all that she had and was none the best. But upon coming to Jesus, that all changed. But that change began from a deeper inner working within her, within her soul. 
that she worked out and into her life. Let's turn to scripture in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. I want you to see the context. I want you to see what was going on. And we're going to dig into this. I really believe that God is speaking to some of us. Because you want that rest, but you don't know how. And it's all in the word. So today I'm just going to give you some simple things. But let's look to the word. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat, to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, a man named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please, come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. And yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed immediately. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered. And yet, you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman Knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. Listen to the words of Jesus. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So listen, up until this point, up until this moment, this woman's life had been marked by difficulty, by sickness, by a perpetual state of unrest. This was her life story for the past 12 years and as we saw no matter what she did no matter who she turned to no matter how much she tried nothing changed and we have to consider why and at surface level we say well she was suffering with a physical malady who wouldn't be stressed who wouldn't be overwhelmed but why did the doctors fail her why did all her resources fail her why were her efforts fruitless? Those are great questions, and I'm glad you asked them. And I want to challenge our belief system. I want to challenge our perspective according to the world that conditions us to see otherwise. I want to challenge that by saying that from her experience, we see that the internal workings of her soul had to change for her external circumstances to be made whole. Now, I recognize this, that that statement right there, that realization comes smack in the face of what many of us believe. For many of us today, we live with the expectation that because God is almighty and therefore he's God, <laughs> that our breakthrough relies solely upon God. God, when you feel like it, you'll do it. But that is the furthest thing from the truth. Let me qualify that with Scripture because I'm not here to give you my opinion. See, on this very day, the Scriptures reveal that Jesus went also to his hometown. As a matter of fact, right after this, 
after he healed Jairus' daughter and everything. He went to his hometown and he saw very different results because the people's internal responses to the power he wanted to affect in their lives was different from this woman's. Consider the scriptures in Mark chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. It says that Jesus left there. Literally, it's talking about when he left Jairus' house. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him. They took offense. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there. I'm going to repeat that. He could not do any miracles there. You are seeing God limited. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. Watch this. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So what we see is two very different results on the same exact day, the same opportunity available to all. And yet we see one that receives and another group that doesn't. And the difference in their results was based upon what had become a discipline within their souls. Believe it or not, you are disciplined in your soul. You can be disciplined as it pertains to your belief and your trust and your faith and the truth in God's word. But you can also be disciplined about everything that is contrary to the word. If you find yourself questioning, struggling with God's word, guess what? That's a discipline exercising itself. You have grown strong in the wrong direction. So what we see is that one group had preconditioned hopes, expectations, and beliefs that limited their understanding of Jesus, and thus they took offense. It literally, in the Hebrew, here's what it means. It means they put a stumbling block. You stay there, Jesus. I'll stay here. Don't pass this line. That's exactly what they did. Based on their preconditioned experiences, their beliefs, their response to everything that they had experienced in life. The other person on the opposite spectrum had nothing but hope, belief, and confident expectation in Christ. So much so that she removed the stumbling block. She got rid of it. Shocking, right? You should try it. You'd be a little freer in life. <laughs> Listen, the Bible says that the violent take it by force. They take the kingdom by force. Isn't it about time that you got violent about the right things? I'm done with this nonsense. I'm done with my struggle. I'm done with these challenges. I'm done with these worries, with these fears, with these anxieties. I'm done. <laughs> See, 
What you allow in your soul can either draw you to God or keep you from God. And this woman began to press despite everything that her body and people and circumstances told her. The scripture says that she pressed through the crowd towards Jesus. You know what she was doing? Get out of my way. Get out of my way. You got to get out of my way. And so, let's see what we can learn from this woman's example. Just a few things I want to point out. The first thing I want to point out to you is that what happened isn't as important as what you allow to happen to you. Listen closely. What happened isn't as important as what you allow to happen to you. There's a difference there. You know, according to Jewish custom in those days and in light of the law, this woman wasn't just sick. She was unclean. She was unclean. I'll tell you why. Because according to Jewish custom and the law of Moses, if a woman had an issue of a flow of blood, here's what she was supposed to do. Number one, she was to separate herself from everyone. The second thing is, if she was going, and why? Because it was believed that she was impure at that moment. And that impurity could not come among other people. So if she was going to come amongst other people, here's what she had to do. She had to announce, unclean, unclean, stay away from me. Damaged goods, no good, impure, stay away. Everybody clear out. Can you imagine living with the day-to-day -day struggles of a sickness and then having to also announce to everyone in your vicinity because of your condition, I'm no good. Stay away. Don't get infected. I got cooties. <laughs> Listen, think about that. Can you imagine the impact that that would have on one's life, on your life. Maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're conscious of this, the shame that it would produce, right? Maybe some beliefs of an unworthiness, loneliness even, maybe powerlessness. How about this? Maybe you just downright self-loathe yourself. This was her life for the past 12 years up until this moment. This is the reality of what her life was. But on this day, what had previously happened could not override what she allowed to happen within her soul. Listen closely. The scripture says that this woman heard about Jesus. And this isn't talking about simply audibly hearing. The Greek renders it this way. She comprehended. She perceived who he was. She understood that this was more than just a man that could touch me, that could do something about my circumstances. She understood that Jesus not only could heal Jairus' daughter, she believed that Jesus was the manifest expression of God's hand, God's power, God's presence on earth, and as such, that he could 
and therefore he would heal her. That is confident rest. And so therefore, she not only believed that Jesus could heal her, she believed that Jesus was the very hand of God, God himself working in the form of a man. And so at this point, upon seeing Jesus, in spite of her physical condition, every disappointment, every loss, every hurt that she had carried over the last 12 plus years went out the window as a new work began in her heart. And she began to work a new reality. If I could just touch the hem of his garment. I'm sorry, sickness, you got to get out my way. If I could just touch the hem of his garment. If I could just press and go somewhere where God is calling me. If I could just, if I could just, if I could just push all this out my way. You, you got to understand, you do not belong in my life. You cannot be in my way. God can do something great here. I trust God. I got to move. You got to move out my way because God is in the house. God is working. And I believe that if I just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. Every disappointment, every loss, every hurt that she had carried began to be pushed to the side. The hope in doctors, the hope in medicine, the hope in opinions, the hope in people, all the remedies, everything went out the window because this woman understood she saw a new reality with God. Let me ask you a question. When you think about your relationship with God and you read his word, what do you see? What do you see? That's a great question to consider. See, this does not happen by osmosis, ladies and gentlemen. There was a discipline to her thoughts. There was a discipline to her hope that was different from her prior internal experience. This was more than merely words as a confession. You know, for some of us, and I grew up in that church too, they just taught you to blab it and grab it. Just, just name it and claim it. And great, that's fine. Name it, claim it. Confess it, but before you do all that, make sure you believe it. Make sure it is truth to you. Make sure you see what God sees so that you can say it with confidence and believe it and receive it. See, this inward change began to produce an outward change in her life. No longer was she concerned with announcing her impurity. Didn't matter. It no longer mattered that people didn't want to be around her, didn't want to touch her, that people felt like she was the plague. None of that mattered anymore. This woman dared to go now where she had never gone 
before. Listen to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18. Because it speaks to this point about what happened isn't as important as what you allow to happen to you. Listen to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says this, therefore we do not lose heart. In other words, we don't cease to believe. We don't stop in our faith. He says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, if you look at the context in which Paul is writing these words as inspired by the Holy Spirit in his life, Paul was a man who had suffered much in life. He had suffered stripes on his back. What Jesus went through, he went through it twice. He had been shipwrecked. He had been left for dead. Literally, they stoned him and left him dead. And he rose up. He knew hunger, he knew betrayal, he knew it all, he understood this all, and yet Paul called these experiences light and momentary. Light and momentary. So how do life's afflictions become light? How does that happen? How can Paul say that all that hurt, all that betrayal, all that loss, all that suffering was light? Let me ask you a question. Is that how you feel? Like, I can't relate to that. It's not light for me. Listen, Paul learned the power of not allowing what happened to happen to him in the soul. Now, this is a breakthrough moment for somebody. Because the very first time, what you are about to realize is that what you went through does not define you. You got to dig into that. What you did cannot change the righteousness of God in you. Where you struggle to forgive yourself, it cannot trump the forgiveness of God. This is, this, is, this is rich. See, Paul says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen. And he refers to seeing things as temporary. What's interesting is that literally the Greek renders it this way. He's, he, he, here's literally what it's saying. It's saying, so we do not spy out or mark our aim on that which is subject to change. That's what that word temporary there means. Subject to change. We don't aim to, to, to grab onto, to possess those things by sight that are subject to change. Paul had received a revelation regarding life's circumstances. What happened may have happened. 
But that does not mean that I have to allow it to happen to me because it is subject to change. Marital challenges are subject to change. Loss is subject to change. Listen, betrayal, hurts are subject to change. Sickness is subject to change. Loss of income is subject to change. Depression is subject to change. It's temporary. It's passing. Why not just let it go and keep moving? See, there's no denying that everyone has a story marked with moments where we say, man, I wish that had not happened. But you see, that does not mean that you have to live with the mark of shame, of guilt, of condemnation, of worry. It's not within your power to go back. That's a good thing. I'll tell you what is within our power to move forward. It's time. It's time. See, like Paul, this woman was marked in her soul by a new reality that began a new discipline within her. She took her eyes, she, she took her, the mark where she was spying out, where she had been all these years. She took it off of that, off of her bodily afflictions, off of all these things. She took her eyes off of what was subject to change, and she reset her heart. Her belief upon a God who is unchanging. Listen, doctors, money, possessions, bodily afflictions, they all, they all come and go. This too shall pass. What you're struggling with is temporary. It's subject to change. The problem is you see it with eyes of permanency. But you see, Christ, your healer, Christ, your deliverer, Christ, your protector, Christ, your savior, doesn't change. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever is what the scripture declares. So let me ask you, when life gives you lemons, do you just accept it and make lemonade because that's all you see as possible? Or do you dare to spy out, to set your marks on higher ground? Do you dare to discover New possibilities with God. I'm going to tell you honestly, man. What you're in search of and aiming for in life cannot be based on what is subject to change because it provides you no permanency. There's no stability there. It has to be on our unchanging God. I don't have time to get into this, but I'll just, you know, there was a time when my, me and my wife headed to Montefiore Hospital. Didn't know exactly what was going on, but she was on a table and she was going from blue to gray. From blue to gray. Doctors everywhere, machines everywhere, and I'm standing in this hospital room, and they're saying, sir, you got to leave this room. And I said, over my dead body will you get me out of here. Call whoever you want. And what I didn't realize, it wasn't registering for me in that moment, was literally my wife was bleeding out. 
She was dying, dying on a cold metal table, dying. Let me tell you something. By that point in our lives, we, we had begun to understand and know certain things. You know what we knew? We both knew that with long life, he satisfies you. We knew and were confident in our faith that he gave Christ for us to have life in abundance. You know what else we knew? We knew that the good work that he started, he shall complete until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the one scripture that kept bubbling out of me. Father, the good work you started in the net, you shall complete until the day of Jesus Christ. She is not done because you are not dead and absent in this situation. You know what else we knew? I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Listen, we saw the threat of bodily affliction as subject to change. Is that how you see the challenges in life? Do you see them as permanent? Or do you go, yeah, this is subject to change. That will free you, man. That will change your life experience. That will produce a wellspring of strength and life and hope. That will draw you to God. That's where this woman was. The next point I want to leave you with is that God's promise holds greater power than the problem. God's promise holds greater power than the problem. Prior to a breakthrough, we find this woman was in a state of physical and internal unrest. It was because she was living with the results of the false promise that her sickness and her shame apparently guaranteed her. You're going to die. You're unclean. You're unfit. You don't belong. You're not worth it. That was the promise. Those were the promises she held to. But then she perceived the promise that was resident in Christ. And as she pressed forward, she told herself, if I could just touch him, I will be well. Can I tell you directly from the heart of God? You will be well. You will be well. You will be well. But is that your belief? You can't give up. This life that God has given you is too precious. There is too much at work within you for you to just settle for what anything and anyone dictates to you that tells you just give up. See, what you believe in your soul, you will reap in life. See, her impediment was not her sickness. It was the distress that kept her bound. It was the lies that told her she was impure. That there was no recourse for her. She had been bound to disappointment and bodily afflictions. Which kept her from turning to God. The only thing I know about promises, promises 
are based on two parties. They're based on the one that provides the promise and they're based on the one who believes the promise and the promiser and accepts it as truth. You know, when I first proposed to my wife, presented a rock, no, it wasn't a rock, it was a chip. It wasn't a rock. Let me not lie, it was a chip. It was a little chip. But hey, it was a ring. I remember I got on bended knee and I, and I said to her, will you marry me? And she said, yes, absolutely. Let's do this. But that, that rock, that chip that I presented her, it symbolized my devotion and my commitment to build a life with her, to care for her, to provide for her, to protect her, to stick it out through thick and thin. And the rock that she now wears, because she's got a rock now, not a chip. She's been upgraded one, two, three times already. The rock that she now wears, it's a testament to a promise that's still in the process of being fulfilled. One that we're walking out. But you see, all that could have been foregone. All these years that we've grown and God has moved greatly and abundantly in our lives. All the joys and the things that we've walked through with God that have brought us to this point where we're still standing and seeing the goodness of God in greater measure. All that could have been foregone if my wife had simply declared no. See, and the truth is that in like manner, God has given us a promise. A promise. But we can forego it if we don't put our faith in what he declares as his promise and the very God who promises it, promises it to us. Man, you got to really dig, I, I, I want to encourage you, you got to go back and listen to this. You got to really dig into this. There's a lot of meat here. You see, the reason why the people of Israel did not enter into God's rest was because they did not believe not just God's promise, they didn't even believe in God. They didn't. They believed more so in their problems. This sea, these enemies, these mountains, these, there's no water, there's no food source. They believed the problem. Paul says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's ability to overcome wasn't based on filtering his responses through his problems. No, it was based on what was produced after filtering it through God's promises. God's promise is the means by which you access everything that God has for you. 2 Peter chapter 1 reveals that. It's a promise. But what we do is we set aside the promise and we pick up the problem and we say, this is how I see you, God through the problem. You know what a problem does? It doesn't allow you to see. Get rid of the problem in your belief and look to the promise of God. The last point I want to leave you with here today is this, is that you have 
the right. You have a right to be free. I'm going to say that again. You have a right to be free. I'm going to tell you why I say that to you. Because as we saw previously, this woman was bound by her condition and the resulting impacts that it had internally in her soul. And according to the law of Moses, she had no right to be in that crowd that day. But Jesus' response upon discovering what she had done proves differently. Listen to what Jesus said to her. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go and sin no more. Listen to what Jesus called her. Daughter. Let me tell you something about my kids and my grandkids and my family. You have a right to anything and everything that is mine. It is yours. You don't have to ask to go into the fridge. You don't have to ask, can I loan you something? I don't have to loan you anything. I will give it to you. I will give you the shirt off my back. I will give you my right arm. I will lay my life down. Because you have the right. And you know, oftentimes, we allow our circumstances to define what, how we think God sees us. And we believe that we're not worthy of God's intervention. Let me speak to you today, daughter. Let me encourage you, son. Let me encourage you, child of God. You have a right. You have the inheritance. You have the promise. You have the access. You have the open door to the throne room of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who does exceedingly, abundantly, above, beyond what you think you can ask. You have a God who says, listen, you have not seen it and no ear has heard it. The good things, the great things, the blessings that I have in store for you because you are my child. tell you something about understanding your right in the kingdom of God when you understand that you are a son and daughter of God you'll begin to approach God like one you know how? with great expectation hey everybody thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.